this thing cranked up here. I don't know what happened. It was fine just about two minutes ago. Well, that's a problem. So uh, tonight we're going to be looking in uh, Psalm 25. And I may have to just do it this way. And uh, I'm going to talk tonight about making spiritual progress. We're going to take a verse that we looked at last week and, and kind of go on down. We're going to look at verse 11 tonight. And we're going to look at four things where we can measure ourselves and that can help us actually to uh, grow in the Lord. And David said, for your, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquities. And um, let me scoot on over here. For uh, it is great. Now, that is a, gr a wonderful thing to say in there, pardon my iniquity for it is great. Now the health and wealth people would say, David, you don't need to say those kind of things. You need to be saying positive things. And yet he said, my iniquity is great iniquity. It's beyond him. Verse 12, who is the man that fears the Lord? Well, we're going to find out. Him shall he teach in the way that he chooses. And then verse 13 says, he himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. A lot of Abrahamic covenant stuff there. And verse 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he shall show him his covenant. My eyes have, are ever toward the Lord, for he shall, look at this word, pluck my feet, out of the net. Now, when David talks about that, he's talking about the fact that no matter who he may be or how good he thinks he is or how much progress he's made, he's never quite there, is he? Kind of like all of us. First John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 8, says, If we say we have no sin, then we're a liar and his truth is not in us because believers are always aware of their sin. And in fact, the more you grow in the Lord, the more aware of your sin you're going to be. I heard uh, Dr. MacArthur say the other day that as you grow in the Lord, you should sin less and yet feel worse because it bothers you more. And the little things start bothering you more. It's not the great big things anymore. You deal with some of those and yet we still have that fallen nature and we still fall into sin and that can be a problem. And yet I find that so many times, more than I would like to admit, I find myself, and I see this in other people as well, where we get to the place to where we think, ah, my sins are not that big a deal anymore. I've kind of conquered all of the big ones, right? I took care of those a long time ago. What, what sin is the Holy Spirit convicting you of now? And how often do you say, ah, yeah, I know I probably shouldn't be doing that or thinking that or be motivated by that, but, well, it's a small thing, it's no big deal. Well, it still cost Christ his life, didn't it? It still drove nails into his hands and into his feet. And so when we think about it from the perspective of comparison to Christ, it's a big deal. It's a big sin. And so David says in here, my iniquity is great. And so the first thing we want to think about tonight is David had it right, had it perfectly right in here, that we have great sin and we also have a great Savior. The Lord saves us for His namesake. He doesn't do it for any other reason except it glorifies Him to show mercy and to give grace to His children, to wipe out our sins, to cast them as far as the east is from the west in the book of... Uh, Micah, it says that he drops them in the depths of the sea. How wonderful is that? And so we may remember it, and it may be hanging over our head, but the Lord, because of Christ, chooses not to bring that up against us. And uh, another place, David said, Lord, if you mark our transgressions, who could stand? Another place, he said, you have not dealt with us according to our transgressions, because if that were the case... All of us would be dead. All of us would be in hell. So when we get to the point, I'll just say this. Every time I get to the place where I am kind of nonchalant about my salvation, 
I'm always in trouble. I always stop growing. I always come to a, a stalemate. So if you find yourself unhappy in your spiritual life, if you find yourself not really growing in the Lord and seems like I read my Bible and I don't get anything out of it, seems like I go to church and Sunday school and I don't get anything out of it, then the problem is probably not with the person who is preaching or teaching. It's probably going to be with you. And that's something that we need to look at. Are you taking your salvation for granted? We don't want to do that. And we want to think about in Exodus 20, where the Lord gave us a summation of His law, and we call it the Ten Commandments. Now, when is the last time you actually thought about, meditated upon, and looked at the Ten Commandments and then compared them to your life? I mean, it's easy to say, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, I don't bow down to a Buddha. I, you know, I don't do like they do over in India and all of that, so I guess I'm okay on all of that. Well, really? Because sometimes we have hidden gods we have stealth gods and we have things that we really do worship things that we really do pledge our allegiance to we would never say it we would never admit it but in our heart that's the way it is maybe there are even people people that we know people that we love and maybe even people that we should love that we're supposed to love but i've seen some parents that make idols out of their children doesn't really matter what God says. Doesn't really matter what the Lord wants. Doesn't really matter what they read in the scripture. It's what little Johnny wants. It's, and they even choose a church by where the children want to go instead of the father being the shepherd of his family. As well, wherever the kids want to go because, you know, you can't make them go. And then I've seen people that kind of get the idea that they have to uh, do whatever the boss says at work and there's absolutely no alternative. Now, I know sometimes things happen. And I am glad that there are people that even while we're gathering tonight that they're at work. I'm glad that electricity is running, for example. I'm glad that cops are fighting crime. I'm glad that there are ambulances. I'm glad that there are doctors and nurses and things like that, even on Sundays. I'm grateful for that kind of thing. But how many people just don't worship God with the saints because they just don't want to? They don't care to. They've got something better to do. And the question probably always ought to be, it's not why didn't they come, but what did they replace tonight with? What did they replace Sunday morning with? What did they replace Sunday night with? Now that's when it starts bothering me. That's when I start getting a burden for people that can so easily set aside a command of Scripture and gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ. Where does it get any better than this? Being together with people like those who are seated around you. Nobody loves you any more than these people all around here. Nobody prays for you like these people all around here. Nobody checks on you and ministers to you like these people around here. But there are some people that none of that means anything to them. They don't really care. In fact, in our country now, we have finally crossed the point to where more than 50% of our uh, population in America... They don't even identify with the church. Used to be they all identified with the church. They just didn't go. Now they don't even bother to identify with the church. And a younger generation is coming up and they don't see the value in a church family. They don't see the value in reading the Bible. They don't see the value in any of that at all. So uh, maybe it's time, as Peter said, for judgment to begin in the house of God. And maybe we don't have the oomph to our testimony and we don't have the impact we would like to have because we don't take our salvation as seriously as we ought to oh i know jesus oh i know he died on the cross oh i know he rose you know that type of thing how can we be so glib about that and then if we take him for granted and we are not really serious and passionate about his sacrifice for us there's only one real reason we don't really think our iniquity is all that great do you kind of have the idea every once in a while that uh, well i've just kind of always been a part of the family of god no you haven't and uh, do you kind of get the idea well you know god in his sovereignty has chosen me well even at that he didn't have to and you could have been born somewhere where you had never heard of the name of jesus at all and so when we uh, sing those songs about uh, jesus um, 
There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low, fear not, I am with thee. Uh, through all of life's ebb and flow, right? Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Is that true? Or is that just something that we sing? Is that just something we kind of know by rote and we can make a grocery list out while we're singing it? Or do we ever really just focus in upon Him and love Him and be absolutely amazed? When is the last time you've been in awe that when you think about the cross, He did that on behalf of you? He did that to take the wrath of God for you. Your sin, your sin was big enough to cause Jesus to be nailed on the cross and the Father to punish him beyond anything that he ever deserved. Your sin, even your minuscule sins, even your minimal sins, even your sin that looks like almost nothing compared to a lot of what's going in the world. Well, that's not the issue. The issue is not, are you better than most of the people out there in the world? The issue is not, are you better than most of the people in the church? The issue is... Have you really taken seriously what the Word of God says and seen the price that Jesus has paid for you? So as David says that, it uh, is kind of a reminder to us that we need to take a look at ourselves and understand that he had it right. Our sin is great, and that's why we need such a great Savior. And the good news is our Savior is always greater than our sin. I don't care how big your sin is or how deep it goes or how it piles up. Grace is, as the hymn says, greater than all of our sin. Amen? And it's always by grace, always by grace, never deserved. Now, number two, uh, David brings up this. And this is an evaluation. We need to evaluate ourselves. And I think so many times we take it for granted. I don't feel bad. Things seem to be going okay. And so I, I guess, we might say, use that phrase, I guess everything's okay. I guess God's happy with my life. I've got a paycheck. I've got food. I've got clothing. I've got heating when I need it. I've got cooling when I need it. I've got transportation. My family's all healthy. Everything seems to be good. I've got money in the bank. And uh, so we just kind of take it for granted. Well, everything must be okay with uh, me and also with the Lord. Well, sometimes we need to evaluate something. Look at verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Well, that's a good question. When is the last time you've ever thought about yourself and measured yourself and not just say, well, I love the Lord. Well, I know the Lord. Well, the Lord has saved me. What about actually fearing the Lord? David asked that question. Who is that person? Because they're hard to find. And even a lot of God's children are kind of like the spoiled brats that you see uh, when you're going around. Uh, maybe you're at Sam's or Home Depot or something like that. And you see the family there and uh, mom tells the kids, you be quiet, sit down, and don't say another word. And what do the kids do? They completely ignore it. Now, that doesn't mean that child at that point just quit being the, a part of the family. That doesn't mean that the mom takes them out and throws them in the dumpster or called child protective services and some come get, come get this one. This one's up for adoption. Uh, no, they don't do that. They're part of the family. But they don't honor their parents, do they? They don't have any fear of that because by the time they go through maybe the second time and the third time have you ever heard that am i the only one and then they go through with another one and then they add these words on it and this time i mean it you mean you didn't before yeah parents don't say that to your kids that that just means that they can wait until you say those uh, threatening words and now they have to do it and that's why so many times you see children okay kids get your shoes on we're getting ready to go and they don't do anything because they know mama doesn't mean it okay well how many times do we do that same exact thing when it comes to the lord who is the one that fears the lord who is the one who honors him and honors what he says honors his desire so much that your heart is in tune with him I want to honor, I want to glorify, I want to know, I want to obey the Lord, and I don't want to be that hesitant kid. I don't want to be the one that has to be threatened with the rod of chastisement before it happens. Well, I wouldn't, you know, dare do that because you know what will happen. Well, why should that even matter if you love the Lord? 
One of the ways you know that you're mature is that you don't fear the chastisement of God. In fact, you welcome it. Why? Because it's making you more like Jesus. That's the thing that we're told in the book of Hebrews. We're not to despise the chastening of the Lord. Why? Don't overlook it is what that means because it always is purposeful. It's always done out of love and it always makes you better. Now, a two-year-old can't see that, right? But we're not two-year-olds, are we? How many of you liked it when your parents ever disciplined you? I hated it. I mean, I would talk back, not where they could hear it, but walk into my room, you know, all that kind of stuff. Remember that dog in that cartoon? That, you know, that was me, okay? And uh, one of the things Sammy and I did uh, with our parenting was, you know, one of the things that I know my mom would do. I could walk off, and I could be as mad as I wanted to be, but I had to obey, and when I went back to my room, if I slammed the door, she said, come back out here. Or this is where you knew she was serious. March yourself out here this instant. Well, I couldn't do that, but that was the deal. And she goes, and go back in there into your room and shut your door properly. This is not your house. And she acts like she owns the place. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? And uh, so I didn't like any of that. And I made some promises to myself that I, I broke when I became an adult. You know what my promises were? I will never do that to my kids. I'll never make my kids do that. And I'll never, oh, this is one that just kills you. I'll never say anything like that to my kids. You ever had your inner dad come out of your mouth? <laughs> or your inner mom? And you do it, and then as soon as it comes out, you go, good night. I was never going to say that, those kind of things. Those are all marks of immaturity. Something happens. I don't know when it happened for you. Something happened when I reached about the age of, I don't know, 22, 23, 24, somewhere in there. I got married when I was uh, 24, so it must have been before that. Something happened, and I started seeing why my parents did what they did. And you know something else that started happening? started appreciating it i can remember talking to my parents and telling them thank you for all that you've done for me and thank you for the discipline that you gave me thank you for the things that you taught me and i remember one time in uh, cleveland oklahoma my parents were living there and uh, i was sitting in the uh, little kitchen area talking to my mom, and she had to go off. She was cooking something, I think. And I looked over at the trash can, and the trash can was full. And you know what I did? This rebellious, bratty kid who said he would never do that and hated when I had to do it, I took the trash out for my mom. And this time I didn't do it because she said, you march over there this instant or you're going to get it with this fly swatter. Or... My parents didn't actually have a paddle or anything like that. It was whatever was handy. I'm just grateful I didn't play baseball. That would have been bad. You know why I did it? Because I loved her. Amen. And I didn't want her to do it. And when she got older and when her leukemia made her so weak she couldn't do anything, I counted it an honor to drive over there to Arkansas, spend time with her, talk to her, put a, a wet, as she would say, a wet wash rag. You know what that is? On her head when she was having a fever. To uh, There was one time they were having trouble getting her to eat and... You know, I just said, hey, I'll grill some steaks or something like that. And she ate some of that and she enjoyed it. And it wasn't like, I can't believe I have to do this kind of thing. I love doing it because at that point, I knew she was probably not going to live much longer. And I would not have much more of an opportunity. The runway was getting short, in other words, for me to show honor to my mother. You understand what I'm saying? And as we grow in the Lord, we need to get to the place to where we understand. He's not just going, I just can't believe that kid did that. Boy, I'll give them a piece of my mind or I'll take it out of their hide. The book of Hebrews says the discipline of the Lord is always done in love by a loving father who is doing it for our good. Now, if you could understand, if you could get a two-year-old to understand that, whew, you're going to have a great family and a great life. It's going to be good. But you can't get them to understand that 
And I wish you could get them to understand it by the time they're five or maybe ten. I wish you could get them to understand that when they're 12, 13, 15, 18, 25. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, and, and some get it a little quicker than others. But uh, this is what David is talking about. Who's the man that fears the Lord? Because all of us, that should be every person in the room tonight. There shouldn't be any hesitation about that. Yeah, uh, I fear the Lord. And, and so uh, as David is talking to us about this, you know, it's time for a little evaluation. And it says, him shall he teach in the way he chooses. So in other words, God is going to teach you if you fear him, if you honor him. And so that leads us to believe if I'm not learning, if I'm not growing, if I'm not getting anything out of this, there's something wrong with my walk with God. Now, I'm a fake and I'm not really saved. That's an issue because I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. And the natural mind can't receive the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. And uh, how do I know that? Because that's the way I lived for a long time. But once you're saved and you are trying to get, well, boy, I need to read my Bible more. Well, you can read the Bible in one sitting from Genesis to Revelation. But if your heart is not right with God and you're not honoring God, you're not going to really take it seriously. You don't really want to know all that bad. There are a lot of things you'll read in the Bible and say, ah, that's interesting, but I didn't want to know that much about it. And you'll forget about it and it won't really matter. But there's something about a person. Remember when you first got saved? And when you first got saved and your heart is right with God and the Holy Spirit came to indwell you and you received a new nature and everything, one of the first things you wanted to do was get your Bible and you wanted to read. I had a new believer tell me the other day, said, I just can't get enough of the Bible and I used to, could not, I could not stand it. Well, that's a testimony of just about everybody I know that is genuinely born again. They want to know. They want to know. They've got an appetite. Man, they are digging into all of that. They don't understand it, but they're digging into it. They read things they don't understand. They ask questions about things they don't understand. They remember what they read, and when they are in another part of the Bible, they go, ah, ding, that's just like what it says back over here. And all of a sudden, things start coming together and making uh, sense to them. And this is the kind of thing when we think about somebody who really fears and honors the Lord. It's not that we're terrified of him. It's that we love him and we respect him. We want to know what pleases him. We want to know what his word says. We want to know how he thinks. We want to know how he thinks. And that's why we need a renewed mind. That's why we've got to be conformed to his image, Romans 8, 29 tells us. God is teaching us this is not just what the rule is. This is why it's there. This is what I'm thinking about this. And he begins to reveal those things to us. We begin putting two and two together and all of a sudden it makes sense that it's four. Now I could take Charlotte, I love Charlotte, and I could sit down and, and say, okay, Charlotte, Big G wants to teach you something and you seem to be a pretty smart girl. And she would probably smile and go, yeah. And I said, two plus two is four. And I could get out little blocks and I could do that. Do you think Charlotte, at her age, would understand anything that I mean by all of that? Now, she may not be mean and ugly, but, well, she might be. You never know. Once she gets tired of it, you know how little kids like that are. But uh, she probably wouldn't be ugly or anything like that. But she would start playing with the blocks and laughing about them, maybe throw them or something like that. But she wouldn't get the concept of what I'm talking about. Do you understand that new believers, they have to learn and they have to grow and they have to start getting the concepts. Nobody gets it all at once. It's called sanctification. It's a process that takes place from the moment of salvation until we are taken out of here and when we are glorified. Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. Uh, the Bible says in the book of 1 John, we will know, we will be, we will know even as we are known. So I don't, I don't think when you get to heaven, you go, I've got a list of questions here. I'm going to ask Jesus and figure it out. I don't think any of that's going to matter. I think it's all going to be irrelevant. And I think you're going to know what you need to know and what you want to know. And you'll be living in heaven completely satisfied in all of it. 
completely satisfied with that. But while we're here on earth, there ought to be a hunger. And there ought to be something that's working in our life. And it all comes down to this one thing, David says. If you want to be taught, it begins by fearing the Lord. By fearing the Lord. You know, I don't know how teachers do it. So many times you find teachers that have to deal with unruly, rebellious kids who are not interested in anything. And, uh, you know, I think for most teachers, the idea is I'm not really teaching until the pupils have learned something. Right? And that's even with preaching and teaching a Sunday school class. It's over and over and over and over and over. And then all of a sudden somebody comes up, boy, I just learned something today. And then they tell you something in your, in your mind. You don't say it, but you're going, how many times have I said that over and over and over? That's kind of the way we are. Well, instead of that, we ought to just go, praise God, they finally got it. Some people are slow, you know. And uh, that's just the way it works. But David is saying here, if there's anything that you want, it's not that you need to understand the book of Revelation better. That's not the key to a, a holy life, even though you need to understand that. It's not how you understand how to put the Old Testament law together or when the kingdom is going to come or any of those kind of things. It really boils down to this. Do you have a respect, an honor, a fear of God? Do you hunger for him? When uh, God said to Abram, I am your exceeding great reward. You know, most Baptists I know would be disappointed with that. Is there not a Mercedes somewhere in here? Is there not a new job somewhere in here? Is there not a big fat bank account or something in here? And our culture just feeds all of that. But somebody says, what do I get if I trust the Lord? You, you get God. Oh. Is that it? Okay. Well, that's not the way it is for somebody who is truly born again. We hunger for Him. And we may go through phases like we do in our human life where we don't respect Him as we should and don't hunger for Him as we should. But the Lord has a way of changing that and maturity certainly will change all of that because without uh, humility, there's no appetite for God. And uh, we don't care what the Lord says. We don't care what he thinks. We don't care whether we're following or not because we are all about ourselves. We're doing what we want to do and uh, the way we want to do it. And that's kind of a, a sad thing. I think about what it says in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus said, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? They don't go together. And these people that say, well, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and then later I made Him Lord of my life. Okay? First of all, that's not possible. If you read Romans 10, 9, you have to confess Jesus as Lord in order to be saved. Okay? And then secondly, you don't make Him Lord. He's already Lord. The Father has made Him Lord. And so we got things all mixed up in those kind of uh, things. And then Jesus said... Well, what's the point of confessing me as Lord if you're not going to do what I say? Now, Americans, we, we struggle with this because to us, Lord is just kind of a nebulous title. But if you were living back in the days when Paul uh, lived or when Jesus lived, there, uh, or if you lived in a country like England where they have a monarchy, lords and ladies were a part of life. And there's certain protocol in the way you treat them and the way you act toward them and all of that. We don't fully understand all of that. And Jesus is saying, why are you calling me master and not doing the things that I say? That doesn't make any sense. That's the ultimate irony to say, yes, you are Lord. Yes, you are boss. Yes, you are the master, but I'm not going to do what you say. In Paul's day, in Jesus' day, that would get your head chopped off, wouldn't it? Okay? But we don't understand that. And so Jesus is saying, your life absolutely makes no sense. It's like the uh, rooster that looked into the frying pan and saw scrambled eggs and said, son, there's been a mix-up somewhere. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. This is a grand mix-up. You're going to call me Lord but not obey me? That doesn't even make any sense at all. And then we think about uh, what it says in Matthew chapter 5. Um, we look at the Beatitudes... The blesseds on all of that. And uh, the, the Greek word for blessed is makarios. 
Uh, it means happy or fortunate or to be envied. And yet we read these kind of things and we see, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, what, what's good about that? Well, notice he didn't say just blessed are the poor. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he's talking there about those who come to the place to where they realize they are totally, utterly, and completely bankrupt spiritually. They have nothing to offer to the Lord. They have nothing to commend them to the Lord. Well, that's the gateway into the kingdom. And so Jesus is giving the laws of the kingdom, and he's saying, until you see yourself like that, you can't even enter the kingdom. The kingdom is not open. The gates don't open. Salvation is not available to those people who think that they've got it, who think that they can contribute to the team, who think that God is lucky to have them, who, who think about themselves just, man, I'm a part of this, and, and this organization is really, really fortunate to have me. You can't even get into the gate if you have that. That's where humility comes in and honor. And then the next thing he said is, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn, what kind of mourning? Just everybody loses loved ones. Everybody dies. Everybody goes through grief. There's not a person on earth that is exempt from that. So does that mean everybody who loses a relative, loses a spouse, loses a child, loses a friend, boy, you're going to go right into the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't make any sense. I think that one is tied to the first one. I think it's we find out that we are spiritually bankrupt and we mourn over our sin. We mourn over what keeps us out of the kingdom. We mourn over that which causes God to separate himself from us. And we realize there's only one way and it's a narrow way and that is through Christ. We also notice that the next thing it says blessed are the meek. Now, God is not saying, I want you just to walk around, be a doormat, let people run over you and spit on you and all of that type of thing. They may, but that's not the goal. What he's talking about being meek, he's talking about somebody that is under the submission of God. That's what it means to fear him. That's what it means to be under his lordship. And until you're willing to submit to God, you're not going to really learn anything. And why should he waste his time teaching you anything? You would just take it out and play with it anyway. I had a teacher that told me one time, Kenan, if you had a brain, you'd take it out and play with it. That's real edifying, you know. And uh, that's, I mean, why would God impart all of that to you you say i just want to know more and more but i'm not going to do with it i'll evaluate it and see whether i want to obey it or not that's not obedience that's not submission that's not meekness meekness is uh, some people define it as strength under control alexander the great had a horse and that horse they used this word uh, to describe the horse and said it was a meek horse but nobody could ride that horse except Alexander. In fact, anybody that tried to get on it, the horse would kill them. That horse was not weak. That horse was under control of its master. See? And so Jesus wants us, yeah, be strong and live in the power of God, but always under control. And who controls it? Your master, your Lord, your king does that. And then it goes on to say here, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a blessing. When you can't get enough, when you are hungry, you know how it is when you sit down to eat, maybe you're at a friend's house and uh, they bring down the, the food, and you say, what are we having? Oh, we're having roast beef and green beans and potatoes and, and a salad. And then when you see them set it down, you ever been to one of those houses where they've got like six people and they put down a thing about like that and you look at it and they go oh you go ahead and go first that's terrifying you know you take out a molecule and you put it down and pass it on and you think maybe i'll get seconds or something you never know how much to take that's kind of why i like going last because when you go last you dump it all and put it all on there because everybody else got what they wanted well, well think about that when you've eaten that meal and then when you go home and maybe you say to your wife you care if we stop by mcdonald's care if we get a Big Mac? You care if we get a pizza? You, do we have any leftovers at home? Fine, there's nothing worse than going to a meal and walking away from it hungry. Now, Jesus has said here, if you hunger and you thirst after righteousness, then he gives you a promise. You shall be filled. 
There's no reason for anybody to be weak spiritually or anemic or hungry or anything like that because Jesus has promised to fill you if you will seek after the right things. And so here we are with our Bible. Oh, Lord, I make a commitment during this new year. I'm going to read my Bible more. I wish this movie would hurry up and be over so I could read my Bible. I mean, I'm joking, of course, but you know what I mean by that? There's always something else. There's always something vying for our time, and we don't get serious about the things of God. And then we wonder, I don't understand. Man, I wish I knew the Bible like this person did. There was a British prime minister who had a Baptist preacher come to see him and said, uh, I've heard all my life that God has a plan for the Jew. And during that time, uh, the, uh, England was uh, the ruler over Palestine. And so he had this preacher come in, tell me what God's plan for the Jew is. I can give you 30 minutes. Well, this preacher started telling him. And then the prime minister said to his secretary, cancel all of my appointments. And he spent all day with him. And it's reported that he said at the end, the prime minister said to the preacher, I would give the world to know the Bible like you do. And the preacher said, that's what it'll cost you. Now, isn't it right? We just don't want to pay the price. And so when we think about that, poor in spirit, when we are mourning over our sin, when we are submissive to the Lord, and when we are hungry and thirsty, does that describe you? That's describing a kingdom citizen, somebody who is in the Lord's kingdom. Does that describe you? That doesn't describe a whole lot of people, does it? Sadly. A whole lot of people that will come to church every Sunday, that will live a moral life and all of that, but that doesn't describe them. And that's a sad thing to uh, think about. And then thirdly, David says, if we want to really grow spiritually, we've got to think long term. And that's found in verse 13 and 14. And uh, he said the secret of the Lord in verse 14 um, to those who fear him and he will what show them his covenant. You know, a covenant is something that kind of is a, a, a right now kind of thing. When God made his covenant with Abram, like in Genesis chapter 15, that was a right now thing. But it wasn't just a right now thing, was it? Because you'll remember that uh, God told Abram, I'm going to give this land to all of your descendants but they're going to be in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and then they're going to come back here. But you, Abram, you're going to go to your fathers in peace, and you're going to live to a, a long old age, but everything that's in the covenant is a now thing. It was legitimate right there. He made it with Abram. He meant it. But Abram really wasn't going to see the full benefits of all of that. At that particular time, Abram didn't even have a son, right? And when you have a son, one thing that uh, I'm relatively sure of, because I can kind of do the math in my head, regardless of what my math teacher said about using my brain earlier, I've got this thing, okay? Figure this out with me. Walk with me. If you have a son at age, let's say you're 18, and you have a child, well, you're only 18 years older than that child. So when that child is 20, you're... Okay, come on, you're quicker than that, man. 38, yeah. When you're 40, I mean, when that child is 40, you're 58. And in my mind, those numbers that I gave are still relatively young, right? And you still got a lot of time, and you can do all of that. But when you have a child when you are 100, when that child is 10 years old, you're 110. Yeah. How many basketball games do you think you're going to watch? How much time do you think? Do you think you're going to see them graduate from high school and wear their cap and gown? You, you think you're going to see them get married and have children and all of that? No. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to make promises to you that you are probably not going to see or enjoy, experience, or even fully appreciate. Isn't that amazing? Because a covenant has to do with now and it has to do with the future. And that's why point number three is be a long-term thinker. You know what pro the problem is with most Americans? Why do we have so many drug addicts and alcoholics and that type of thing? Let me tell you one thing that is common with all of them. They can't think beyond their need for the next drink. Oh, 
Man, I can remember talking to people where they had all these great plans, and this is, I'm going to be a multimillionaire. But that next desire for a high or for a drink just killed them. Just killed them. Why? Because it's about now. You know why you can't lose weight? Because that cupcake is calling you now in there, right? That Snickers and that donut, I don't know why, but uh, not too long ago, it was just like, I have not had a donut in a long time. Oh, man, I want a donut. And you can do whatever you want to do, but, man, your flesh just, you know. I remember hearing, uh, some of you remember Bill Sturm, and he used to weigh quite a bit, and uh, he went on a pretty severe diet at one point. And I remember him, this is probably back in the 80s, it was hilarious. He was a funny guy. And he said, I went to the refrigerator, and uh, my flesh started going, pie, 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 pie. And he said, you better shut up, or I'm going to cram another carrot stick down, down <laughs> here, right? And that's kind of the way you have to handle it, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. And you've got to think long term. I want to lose 50 pounds, but I'm not going to do it today, and I'm not going to do it this week. I doubt I'll do it this month. In fact, it's going to be quite a while before that all comes off. But here's the thing. If you keep doing it every day, it will come off. Am I right? But most of the time, we can't get past, oh, boy, just this one time I'll have this piece of cake or this piece of pie, and one turns into two, and then we say, ah, it's no good. I'll just wait till Monday to do it and just get me through the weekend. And by that time, we put on about six more pounds, and we've set ourselves back, right? Same thing is true with just health in general. When your doctor talks to you about your health and building yourself up and all of that, okay, I'm going to do it. He tells me I need to go out and I need to go walk every day. Diana and I were talking about that a while ago. So first day I go out, I'm going to walk 10 miles. You know how long it takes to walk 10 miles? Long time. And you know what you've got to do when you think about that? When I had my heart failure... Uh, Taylor and Sammy, I, we were talking about I need to get out and walk. Well, this is after my surgery, actually. And so we went out and we walked into the front yard and then I'm done. Nope. Went back, sat in my chair, <sighs> fell asleep. And uh, the next day we went out and, you know, the next day we made it across the street to the first mailbox. And then it was like, I think I can go a little bit more. And then it was like, no, I got to get back. And I always had to keep that in mind. However far I went, I have to go back. So if you push it too hard, you know, you're in trouble. And so I had to go back. And on and on it went for all of that time. You don't just go out and run a marathon just because you want to. You don't go out and run a 5K just because you want to. You don't go out and walk 10 miles just because you want to. In fact, you'll set yourself back, won't you? Okay, so long term, long term, long term. This is not about today. There's a part of it where you have to say, I've just got to get through today. There is a part of that. Just one more step. I'll do it right today. And then I got to be ready for tomorrow. But there's also that part of you that you have to focus on. Where do I want to be two years from now? Where do I want to be five years from now? And am I taking the proper steps to get there? And that's what I see when David talks about the covenant and he talks about these other generations and dwelling in prosperity. You don't get prosperous just because you want to be prosperous. You get prosperous because you have a plan. You have a budget. You have a way of earning money. You have a way of saving money. Those type of things. And uh, you want to leave something for your descendants. I thought about Proverbs 6, 6-8. through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief... Uh, Officer or ruler, she prepares her, uh, get it over here to the right place, her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. In other words, with all of your good intentions, you're probably not going to harvest any corn in January. There's a time for all of that. And we've got to think about those kind of things and take advantage of the time. And it's not so much, well, I don't feel like it today. Well, you may miss your opportunity. You've got to think long term. In Proverbs 21, 5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Now notice, plans, that word plan. We've got to plan certain things. You can't just have everything you want and put it on a credit card and 
and be in good shape. Plans, you've got to plan for that. Proverbs uh, 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and uh, olive oil, and fools, I like this translation, gulp theirs down. I'm going to save mine, not me, right? That's from Little House on the Prairie, uh, by the way. And uh, then you have uh, Luke chapter 40, uh, 14, verse 28. It says, For which of you, uh, seeking to build a tower, does not set down first and count the cost? And uh, we don't really like doing that. But if you're going to be growing spiritually and measure your progress, you've got to have the three things we just talked about, and you've got to think more than just about uh, how long is it to, oh, oh my God, have you ever done this where you're flipping through the pages? How much is, I was going to read a chapter in, in this minor prophet thing, but it's about to kill me, and oh man, there are three pages in that one chapter. How am I going to do it? You've got to think differently than that. And you've got to take it a step at a time. And you've got to infuse it into your life. Apply it into your life. You've got to do what Psalm 1 says. And meditate on it day and night. And then you'll start to grow. If you uh, actually do have an appetite. And that appetite comes, what do we say? From fearing and honoring the Lord. So you can kind of see why modern American Christianity falls flat on its face. While we're not strong against the enemy. While we don't have much impact upon our culture. While we're not salt and we're not light. Because it all goes back to the fact we don't really care that much about God. And we take our salvation for granted if indeed we actually have it. Does any of that kind of make a little bit of sense to anybody? And so it all starts back with God. Number four. Ah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I don't mean any disrespect, but um, not long ago I heard Toby Keith talking about his cancer. This obviously before he died. And then he made this statement. I cringe when I hear these kind of things. He goes, well, the Almighty's riding shotgun with me. And I got the old devil by the horns. Well, it used to be pretty common to see bumper stickers when I was a kid in the 70s. God is my, anybody remember? Co-pilot. That is the most dumb thing, stupid thing I think I've ever heard. You've got the creator of the universe and you're telling him, hey, back me up. I'll drive. I'll fly. I'll be in control. God doesn't even want you to be a co-pilot, right? And that's what David is saying as he sums up what we are looking at here. That... Uh, my eyes are ever uh, toward the Lord. My eyes are ever and always toward the Lord. And that's his way of saying, I'm completely, totally, always and ever dependent upon you. Isn't that interesting? Because so many people think that God is behind a red box with glass on it that's marked for emergency use only. Now, when they get a bad report from the doctor, break the glass and call on God. When their child is in trouble, break the glass and call on God. When they can't pay a bill, break the glass and call on God. But other than that, just stay back in there and don't break the glass. I got this. I can handle this. And, uh, you know, I'll call you when I need you kind of thing. And David was saying here, I've learned uh, spiritual truth. God is not looking in heaven going, I wish somebody would do something for me. He can do anything he wants to do. The key is, are we looking to him and looking to Him as our resource for everything that we do. You, uh, you can have a great marriage if God's living through you. And if the Holy Spirit is showing you and living through you and how to treat your mate, I just don't know how to get through to her. I don't know how to get through to Him. Well, the Holy Spirit does. And if you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you were looking to the Lord, He would love them through you and use you in uh, that way. You see, you see what I'm saying? And the Lord is not just something in the background or a co-pilot to all of us. He is the one who is in control. He is the sovereign one. And uh, we have to yield to Him and we have to look to Him as we uh, live our lives and go through that. I think about in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus taught us to pray, Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. And actually, in the original language, it's more the idea of the evil one. And so, uh, how are you going to get away from the enemy? How are you going to get out of their trap? You're probably not. That's something you have to be rescued from. You have to be delivered from. The word salvation actually does mean deliver or deliverance. And we have to be delivered out of the snares of the enemy. In John uh, 15, verse 5, it says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in, the, uh, in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he says something really strange. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Really? I thought I was the fruit bearer. I thought I was the one out here doing things for God and fixing everything and God going, oh, that was really good. No, that's, listen carefully and we'll be done. That's the offering of Cain. He brought the work of his hand. Look what I produced. Look what I've got, Lord, and put it there. And he didn't even acknowledge the fact that if God had not given him a brain and physical dexterity, if God had not made the trees, if God had not set the laws of nature in motion, Cain couldn't have even brought that. But he was sure proud of it, wasn't he? And that's why the book of Jude warns us not to walk in the way of Cain, where we get impressed with ourselves and what we can accomplish and thinking that God needs us and God's going to be impressed with us because apart from him, we can do nothing. And that's not just spiritual things. That's actually anything at all. Why'd you get up this morning? God allowed you to get up. Why are you here tonight? God allowed you to be here tonight. Why can you think? Because God allowed you to think. All of those things are in there. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And especially the spiritual things, because salvation is of the Lord. And we can say amen to that all we want, but until we get that in our heart, and we start living like that, and honoring God, and appreciating our salvation, until we start really thinking a long term, this is not just about how I feel today, or what I get out of this in the short term. I'm leaving a long term legacy of faith not only for my family but for others as well and I want to grow long term and God is not my assistant in all of this I am surrendered to him right okay let's pray father as we think about what David said so much wisdom packed into just a few verses so much help for all of us, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for putting that on David's heart all those many, many, many years ago. Thank you for preserving it for us. And thank you that we can always go to your word and we can find what we need. And I know we didn't read anything tonight that told us to marry Sally or uh, what color a car to buy or what stocks to invest in. But that's really not what we need when it comes down to it. And so I pray that we would all appreciate what you have done for us and value our salvation and treasure it. And I pray, Father, that we would also think about the fact that we are not always as humble or as hungry as we ought to be, or you would feed us. Cleanse us of that, Lord, and change that. And forgive us when we're all in it like a toddler again. We've used that a lot tonight at a gum machine. Just give me the gumball. Short-term thinking. And forgive us, Lord, when we kind of get the idea that we are your choice servants and we are the ones that you are really proud of. And we really have something to offer you in the kingdom. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So bless us, Lord, because we do want to do something and we do want to bear much fruit, but we can't. We want to be plugged into the vine and may your life flow through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.